sorry, the number you have dialed is not in service at this time. Am I the only one who thinks this is totally insane? Rob, we're fighting theological injustice here. They're not using just weights and measures. He said we have 50 listeners. I think he's being generous. Rage of is interpreted by experts. Rob, are you as shocked as I am? It's nonsense. If you've given any money to this, you need to complain. You ask for your money back. I don't know about you, but I find this annoying. What up and shalom. Welcome to the Rob and Caleb show, the show where theology matters and scholarship counts. My name is Caleb Haig. With me, of course, a Rob Van Hoff. What up, Rob? How's it going, brother? Hola. What, what was the, What's our new tagline there? Where theology matters and what and scholar oh, and scholarship counts. Where theology matters and scholarship counts and theology matters. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah. How you it's doing, only man? it's it's in the nineties here. How about you? Oh no, it's like it's nice and cool. Oh, good, good. Yeah. Yeah, measures, you- yeah, Lo- Lois and Adam, those guys gave me, you know, I say measures, measure, measure. Did you, uh, did you take another little, uh, little brief vacay this last week? Well, yesterday afternoon, I helped my dad with his boat. Mm-hmm. But didn't you go out to the cabin? And, and Oh, last week. Yeah, yeah. Last week I took a day and went out red. Oh, I love it when it's quiet. Except the lot next door, they're doing a bunch of work. So it was like, like excavating, you know, big machinery and stuff like that. So that the timing wasn't that great. But I got some reading done. It was nice. What'd you and read? I've got a lot. More. I've got a bunch of books I'm reading. I'll, I'll I could give you a little bit. I'm reading um, Emmanuel Etkis, who's a major uh, Israeli scholar. He's got a book, uh, Rabbi Schneur Zalman of Leity, The Origins of Chabad Hasidism. Nice. This is two th- I think it's 2016 Brandeis University Press. It's, this is translated from modern Hebrew. It was written in modern Hebrew, and it was translated into English. Excellent. Another book I'm reading is Glenn Diner, Men of Silk, The Hasidic Conquest of Polish Jewish Society. Interesting. I've, got, I've got, always got, like, my... I always have a couple different placeholders in a book. You know, I've got one in the, one in the footnotes, one in the bibliography, you know, and one where I'm reading. And uh, I've got a couple other books I'm reading too, but the, those are the the ones that I'm. Did you receive your jets? That is Journal of the Evangelical Theological Society. So, but I haven't looked at it yet. What? Uh, I just started about an hour before the show. I just started, what are the New Testament autographs? An examination of the doctrine of inspiration and inerrancy in light of Greco-Roman publications by Timothy Mitchell. I saw the article and I'm going to read it. I'm planning to read it. Have you started looking at it? Uh, just the first couple of pages. I'm interested in, to hear what he has to say. I haven't gotten into it yet. But this, you know, I got to say, uh, Jets is always a kind of hitter. Well, I should, I mean, there's always at least one good article, whether you agree with it or not. You know what I mean? Like, there's always something that looks enticing, and that's the one this this uh, this issue. Uh, and no offense to the people over at Jets, they're doing great work, but uh, it's just you know, you have your specific. Uh, what you like to read about and the topics that you're interested in. And so they try to hit, you know, various different uh, topics and whatnot. And so that you, obviously you can't, you can't please everybody with every article. And so there's usually one per Jets uh, book that, that uh, catches my attention. And that's the one. Besides that, um, I mean, there's stuff on prophetical texts like uh, Jeremiah and Jonah um, becoming a refugee, sex trafficking in the people of God. Uh, so, I mean, there's stuff that's, I'm sure, very good. It's just not really my focus of study. Yeah. yeah. Right. Uh, but that one looks good. I'm excited for that. Uh, so it looks like we uh, just got uh, we just got Dennis Fabe into the uh, chat room. And so uh, I think it's only appropriate that uh, our good friend Dennis gets a very special holler out today. Here you go, Dennis. 
Yeah, that's right. <laughs> we hope we hope we have the date right. That's right. <laughs> unlike I think uh, something uh, on my computer told me that it was your birthday, so hopefully it's correct. <laughs> unlike most, but like most people, like it comes up in in Facebook, you know, it'll be like your friend on Facebook. But Dennis isn't on Facebook, so yeah. <laughs> Smith's like, remind me not to listen. <laughs> nice. All right, so we had some very interesting things happen. Enough of the playing around, and uh, yeah, I still I still love the comment that somebody made on our YouTube page. What was it? I she was like, "Yeah, these guys are ridiculous." The first ten minutes is them just playing around with sound effects, and I was like, "Yeah, that's right. That's that is exactly yeah, right." It, yeah, and it, we use that. <laughs> That is our deterrent. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Like only the, it's like it's only like the, the strong will make it through exactly, the sound effects. It's like the uh, what do you call it? The the salmon that are swimming back upstream. They have to make it over. The, like we put these little things there that only the strong. Uh, that's right. Only the strong survive. Okay. Well, we had some very interesting things that went on. Now, uh, I'm not sure. It's kind. I mean, no offense to you, Rob. It's kind of a uh, an interesting day. We know it's going to be a good show when Rob actually pulls clips himself. Yeah. And because uh, normally I'm the one who go, you know, I take a couple of days to go find clips to pull and stuff like that. Now we've been going through the doctrines of grace in the past couple of shows, uh, and so honestly, we've only gotten one feedback that was kind of, eh, you get what are you guys doing? Everybody else has been like, this is great. Thank you very much. So we're not we're not we might even hit on uh, what are we at? We're at L limited atonement, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Okay. So we might hit on L towards the end of this show, or maybe the middle of this. Show. I don't know how long this will take. But um, so we, I got some interesting correlations. There's been some really uh, neat stuff going on. I don't know if "neat's" the right word. Annoying, interesting. Yeah, that, could be, that could be a neat. <laughs> Neat and annoying are not synonymous, but that's okay. Well, um, okay. So first of all, we uh, Rob was telling me actually right after our last show, he was telling me that he found this clip uh, of someone talking about ISIS, and it was an interesting. I started listening to it as well. It is very interesting to hear this person who is who is a Muslim, and uh, he has his PhD, and he's talking about the ideology of ISIS now. What I found so interesting about this is, well, and maybe you should set it up uh, yourself, or maybe we don't. Maybe we should let this gentleman set it up himself. Uh, as we have uh, now, I took clips, I think, from the exact same spot. However, your first clip—I haven't heard Rob's clips, by the way, everyone. So I don't know what he has here. Uh, your first clip is two minutes and two, twenty-three seconds long. My yeah. first clip is a minute and four seconds long. So you grab something. Longer than me. And then your second clip is 27 seconds long. My second clip is a minute and 33 seconds long. So, hmm, yes. All right. So you want to set this up? Yeah. What what this is, and if if anybody who's kind of pay attention to current events in terms of what our our government's up to, um, there is available, and Caleb, you provided the link there in our show notes, for the United States Senate Committee on Homeland Security and Government Affairs. They had a committee hearing on June 21st. So this was last week. And I, it was too soon to integrate into last week's show, although I, I thought it would have been great I, I, to integrate it as soon as we could. So that's why we're doing it this week. So it's a week old already, June 21st, uh, on the ideology of ISIS or the Islamic group you know, that's perpetuating violence, trying to expand the caliphate, and etc. And... I've watched a bunch of it. I haven't watched the whole thing. But what's neat is they've put this on the, the Senate.gov website so you can watch the whole thing or you can fast forward through it. Um, 
but in particular, there is a PhD out of Princeton whose name is Dr. Tariq El-Gawari. Um, he did his PhD from, from Princeton in Islamic law. And he talks about religion in, in terms of, uh, specifically he's talking about Islam, but it, he uses this a bigger picture of what religion is and how, how from an Islamic scholar, because he's also a practicing Muslim, so he's a PhD, so he's highly literate in the textual traditions of Islam. Um, he's well-learned in, in a Western academic realm, but he's still pro-Islamic law. But he understands that in terms of the United States law as being the law of the land. He's not promoting like Sharia law or anything like that. Um, but he's articulating in this uh, clip why and how it needs what what this group in the Middle East doing, this violent group, is to be understood in terms of the larger religion of Islam and why it's, what he says, illegitimate. So okay. basically, and, and so the parallel here, what we'll do, I want to think, we're going to kind of put on our religion, religious studies hats, step outside of our messianic world for a second. And, and you know, we're going to just, this is a thought experiment. I don't know how profitable it'll be. I'm hoping it'll, it'll give us some food for thought. But, uh, think in terms of religion. If we can think of ourselves as having a religion, for example, and then we look at other groups in our religion and we decide, do they belong or not? Or do they, do they represent our religion or do they not represent our religion? We talk about this kind of stuff all the time. So I thought this is just another thought experiment to, to get it so radically different. In other words, we're going to look at something completely different altogether, like someone from Islam world saying another group that is so radical that they don't belong in that group. And to see if there might be thoughts that would just help us sharpen our, our discernment, our wisdom a little bit in the realm of uh, how we interpret our tradition and determine uh, and have opinions, informed opinions about other groups, whether they, not, whether they represent us or not and why. Not uh, so only that's, a threat our homeland. So oh, well, let me set this up. So, so this is what we're going to hear is, is Dr. El-Gawari, and he's talking about the problem of, of ISIS as a threat to the United States, but also to his view of what Islam is. Okay. Not only a threat to our homeland, not only a threat to our national security, but an existential threat to our religion. Normative Islam in both its Sunni and Shia expressions is defined by a very robust interpretive methodology. That's what you go to seminary to be trained in. Very briefly, this interpretive methodology requires one to understand the divine texts to understand the text of the Quran, to understand the various statements of the Prophet. There are 6,236 verses in the Quran. There are about 60 to 70,000 prophetic texts. In their different narrations, there's over 100,000 narrations of these prophetic texts. Understanding the divine text means understanding about a dozen different sciences, beginning with Arabic grammar, syntax, morphology, logic, all of these different interpretive tools that we use to understand what does the text actually mean in the context in which it was revealed. The second thing is to understand the context that we live in now, the current moment, understanding full well that people change, times change, circumstance change, and location and place change. How does one fast the month of Ramadan in the northern latitudes in which the early Muslim generations never experienced? How do we deal with usury in, in, the, in the light of fiat currency, currency that's not backed by posit? gold or silver bullion? Okay, so what, it, just to recap, because I know the clip goes on. He's basically pointing out, look, I'm part of a religion that has sacred texts and an interpretive history of how to read those texts. And just to be able to enter in that world, you have to understand the language of the text you have to understand the history that they were written and, and all the back and forth. And then you have to understand, secondly, that times change. It's been, from his perspective, he's saying, you know, it's been whatever, 12 or 1300 years since our, his sacred text had been revealed, associated to, you know, according to their belief. And that people and places change. Therefore, issue, legal issues such as when to fast according to a calendar is going to be different for someone in Australia because the, the way of measuring time. So we're getting into what in the rabbinic world would be halakhic issues of like when does this, 
When do you count Sunday? When does the Shabbat begin? Well, if I you're think, in the diaspora. Uh, and then he, secondly, well, I think talks, I, I think he's t- t- touching on way more than that. Well, no, and then what, finally, what, let me what, finish one more point. Let me finish one more. Point. And then he points out in terms of like usury, legal current. What do you do in a civic law? So he's he's pointing this big picture of what he says is normative. Remember this word normative. Normative Islam looks like this and he's using broad brushstrokes to paint what normative is and then if, as we go go ahead Kayla, you say your point but what he's going to do then he's going to paint this picture and then he's going to say what these isis people are that they have none of this that they're cutting and pasting and inventing their own uh religion go ahead okay let's keep let's keep going because i want to hear his whole point before we try to deconstruct it on and so forth so then that further adds that one needs to understand the current moment that we live in and its complexity and its changing And then the third aspect of this interpretive paradigm is how do we link the divine text into the current moment in which we live. And that, as we were taught, is a talent. Not everyone is endowed with that type of talent. Violent and extremist groups like ISIL have no interpretation whatsoever, nor do they have a fundamental understanding of Islam. They are unlettered warmongers who have, in essence, created a parallel religion. Yet this parallel religion that they call to is no more Islamic than a pool with one lemon squeezed in it is lemonade. And because of their gross misunderstanding of the primary text, because of their lack of a robust interpretive methodology, the good news is we are able to identify what is so wrong with their thinking. Okay, hang on. I want to go back. I want to listen to this one more time. Okay. I want to listen to this part one more time. Now... Let's pretend for just a second that he's not talking about Islam. Right, exactly. Let's pretend for a few seconds that he's talking about the Messianic movement. And if that's the case, at least at the end here. Then a pool with one lemon squeezed in it is lemonade. And because of their gross misunderstanding of the primary text, because of their lack of a robust interpretive methodology, the good news is we are able to identify what is so wrong with their thinking. Okay, so I think that he's hit the nail on the head, not for Islam. I think he's hit the nail on the head for Christianity. I hit, think he's hit the nail on the head for Messianic faith or whatever you want to call it, Hebrew roots movement. And particularly with the Messianic slash Hebrew roots movement, what you have, in my opinion, is you have – and not across – I'm thinking, of, you like, can, I'm thinking you can't, of word pictures. Yeah, you can't, you can't see this across the board, of course. But I think this is something that we – I mean this whole show has basically been trying to highlight – is that you know you have uh, the sacred namers? You got the Hebrew word pictures. You got the Paleo Hebrew lunar Sabbath. Yeah, lunar Sabbath, flat Earth. Uh, you know, you could put entire teachers into this. Itzhak Shapira, uh, Rob Skiba, all these guys. They, uh, it's like no education, no theological education. You know, they haven't taken the time. Unfortunately, they haven't taken the time to actually go to this interpretive uh, methodology, which is needed to be able to uh, exegete the scriptures. What you have is you have a lot of people within the Messianic slash Hebrew Roots movement that are frustrated, as we've said many times, with the quote-unquote Christian church uh, because of the Torah issue. And so what do they do? They basically throw the baby out out with the bathwater and they reject and – in so doing, they've they've gotten rid of the, this uh, interpretive information. Now, I, I I know that this guy's talking about obviously <laughs> about Islam, but it seems like it goes across the brushstrokes paint across religion as a whole. Let's go. I want to go to the first clip that I pulled because basically this is a summary of what he okay. just said. Okay. Senator Tester. Thank you, Mr. Chairman. I want to thank all of you for your testimony. Um, Dr. Elgwery, I came in uh, towards the last half of your comments, but one of the things you said right at the very end was that, I just want you to confirm this, ISIL has nothing to do with religion. Did I hear you right? ISIS has nothing to do with Islam, is what I believe I said. Okay, so tell me the difference real quick. I began by saying that normative Islam in its Sunni and Shia expressions is defined by an interpretive methodology. Okay. And I walked through a little bit about the high, the high level of what that is. Right. And that the texts that we have, what we believe to be divine texts, live in time. And there's a discursive tradition in which how we interpret these 
Okay. These verses and these injunctions for the moment that we live in, but ISIS, they have no, they're not, they're unlettered, they're completely unlettered in the religion and the fundamentals of the religion, gotcha. nor do they have an interpretive methodology. So what they you. conclude is based on their own whims and desires from what they're reading prima facie without understanding the text. And that's that's the point yeah, that right there. That was my second clip. Yeah, good. That, oh, that's, that your, that's your second clip. Yeah, so we don't need that. Yeah, that's the point. So the issue that he's facing from his worldview, now granted it's a very different worldview, the problem is parallel. The yeah, problem exactly. is it's a very it's a real world problem. It's a problem where you're like, wait a minute, you know, we've got um, now now let's just let's just flip the tables just for a second. Let's say we are coming from like a ultra orthodox, you know, Hasidic perspective, and we believe that the Talmud is the word of God and the Zohar is the word of God and the Shulchan Aruch uh, is all like the is the basically the appropriate halakhic code for what God desires in this world. Um, could they make the same argument against like one Torah messian- messianic? I, but that's just it, is that I think that, you know, we've talked, we've talked in previous shows about education, scholarship, how, uh, you know, we've even looked at the history of how um, uh, the Pentecostal um, movement along with uh, uh, forms of Messianic Judaism or Messianic faith have essentially um, <laughs> uh, <laughs> sorry I'm <laughs> I got distracted by Adam in the chat room um, <laughs> uh, we've talked about how how they have uh, rejected uh, education in not across the board and I know that that we have people even myself I you know I, for several years I went to assemblies of God so I'm not trying to down any one sect. All I'm saying is, is that a lot of the time, not all the time, but a lot of the time, and we do, and before I even say this, we do have good scholars. We do have some good scholars within the Pentecostal movement. So I'm not trying to downplay, but as a whole, the Pentecostal movement uh, moved away from scholarship and an interpretive method and instead went to feeling, right? We, what, you know, the experience that we have, um, so and then trying to connect dots. I, Adam just made a good. He said, "Who made this guy the arbiter of who of who is and who is not Muslim?" Though, what what in in uh, his own, if you watch all his different testimony in the hearing, uh, he does say, "I I too, and, and from their perspective, I am an apostate." Yeah. So he basically said he basically says, you know, they'll call me an apostate. Uh, well, I, I I pulled one more clip from from this. Uh, oh, go ahead. Let's from, hear it. From, from this uh, tr- uh, hearing, and let's uh, let's play this real quick. Doctor um, Elgawari, um, I, I would like you to respond uh, to what seems to be somewhat of a debate back and forth we're hearing in the in the political realm now as to whether or not we should call uh, ISIS uh, radical uh, Islam. When when you hear someone calling it radical Islam, is do you think that's an accurate description uh, of uh, what we're seeing with ISIS? seem to be intent on getting all the difficult questions. Um, one of the things they taught us at seminary is that there is no, um, there is no, um, I'm just trying to translate in my head on the fly, there is no, there's nothing wrong with labels because a lot of times we get stuck on labels. Or why are you saying this? Why are you calling that? And I think that labels are only what their, what their definition is. When somebody says, I use that term radical Islam, and I know a lot of people in my community get upset, but what I mean by it is people that look Muslim, say they're Muslim, quoting the Quran, and doing horrible things. I mean, what are we going to call them? They're, they are terrorists for sure, but they're very, they're very different than you know, a neo-Nazi group, for example. So I personally don't have a problem with that. When people say that, whether you know, Congress or the White House or in the media, I understand what is meant. However, I fear that that can very easily slide into well, any form of religiosity from a Muslim is a form of radical Islam. And that's, I think, where the fear is, is that we limit it to what it's supposed to define. So, okay, now whether or not you agree with what he has just said in his statement or not, uh, now we're getting into labels. And this is actually interesting because, um, you know, this is something that we've kind of been wrestling with and, and uh, f- fighting with for the past several weeks as well. 
<clears throat> this idea of labels, not only in, in Messianic Hebrew roots, you know, and going back to Adam's question, who made that guy the arbiter of who is or who is not a Muslim, though? Uh, the, the same thing has been said about Rob and I in who has made us the arbiter of, of all things Messianic or all things Hebrew roots. Uh, and it's not that – I would not say that I'm trying to be that by any stretch of the imagination. I'm trying to explore what these different uh, titles mean and, and those kind of things. And this is why we've gone outside of the quote-unquote Messianic realm into now uh, Reformed theology. Or and maybe that's even a bad title. And obviously, I think even trying to explain this in the past minute shows why labels are so difficult. Because what reform theology might mean to one person, it might mean something completely and different to another. And this goes right to the I, – I, I, I like his point about um, labels. It's basically good scholarship is define your terms. Define your terms so your audience – so you're not just throwing the term at them because they might – they might – It'd be like talking to someone in Chabad, and I keep saying Messiah or Mashiach, Mashiach, and they keep pick, have a little picture of Schneerson in their mind or whatever, right? That's not going to help. We need to define our terms. And this goes right to the core even of the gospel in the apostolic writings where Yeshua, the moment after Simon Kepha, Shimon Kepha, or Peter says, you are the son of the living God, right? You're the Messiah. Yeshua says, flesh and blood has not revealed this to you, but my Father in heaven. But then Yeshua says, goes on to tell what was going to happen to the Messiah from Yeshua's perspective of what he knows about <laughs> who the Messiah is, because he's the Messiah. He's, gonna, he's telling Kepha what's going to happen. And what does Kepha do? Kepha says, no, you've got the wrong definition <laughs> of what Messiah is. Shimon Kepha has a different picture of what Messiah is, and he's exalting that over Yeshua, who's living in right there in front of him. And what does Yeshua says? Get behind me, Satan! You have the thing, you have the things of men in mind. You have you have the labels and, and expectations of men in mind. You don't have what's what God has in mind, the things of God. So right off right off the bat, in our own uh, gospel tradition, we have Shimon Kepha getting a little bit of a a little bit of a back whipping or whatever you want to call it from Yeshua concerning this very issue of we need to be very careful on how we define our terms and what uh, expectations we build off those terms. And clearly, with one of the most important words in the Bible, Messiah, Yeshua didn't come and just start arguing for a definition of Messiah. He lived it out. Yeah. No one was going to understand. Even his closest disciples were not going to understand. Even though he told them, the Son of Man is going to go to Jerusalem, you know, et cetera, and so on forth. He's going to rise on the third day. He could tell them that over and over again, even those who were closest to him, and they're not going to get it. They're only going to get it after he lives it out on his own, suffers, dies, rises again, and appears to them. Then they start to get it. But even after the 40 days, right, in Acts chapter 1 that Luke records for us, are you going to now return the kingdom to Israel? Like, they're, they're still, their motivations and excitements and expectations are built off a framework that still is being shaped. They still don't get it. And that's why even we get to Peter's vision, you know, recorded in Acts 10. Peter is still on a learning curve, right, for what the implications are of what God's doing in and through Yeshua, now the Ruach HaKodesh. So definition of terms is really, really important. And to recognize that we as humans can latch on to labels. And while, like, like this Muslim scholar said, labels in and themselves aren't going to be bad, but we need to be clear that how we define them. But uh, we just need to be uh, vigilant on that area. That's, okay. that's my I, I, I want to take the idea of labels for a few seconds, put it on the shelf. We're going to take it back down in a few seconds. But until then, I want to look actually. So I think many people in the Christian world, at least maybe in the Messianic world as well, um, have, have uh, seen this past week uh, Alpha and Omega Ministries and, uh, <laughs> and James, <laughs> James White's dealing with a Hebrew Israelite <clears throat> Those who might not know, the Hebrew Israelite movement is becoming larger and larger. Basically, African Americans uh, are saying that they are the true Israel. They have, uh, and this is this is a, a large movement now. It's been around for quite some time. It's not anything new by any stretch of the imagination. Um, they 
they tend to be very vocal. Uh, I would say they are aggressive and uh, not in a kind way. They're very aggressive. Um, and they are loud and uh, in-your-face kind of people about who they are and why they are those people. And um, they're very difficult to talk to. And they are – unfortunately, they've taken <clears> – excuse me. They've taken this idea of an interpretive method, okay, and they've thrown all scholarship out, out the window, 100 percent out the window. Except um, for like James Strong's concordance. Yeah, that's true, um, and and so um, which becomes like now it's like the Talmud now. Yeah, it's like yeah, you, you yeah, have to have your yeah. Bible and your and strong your strongs, and, and and I'm you not can do it. Oh, and your and your Hebrew word picture uh, chart, and you can interpret anything. Now I'm not going to say that uh, obviously ISIS and these uh, these Hebrew Israelite movement are on the same level. However, because uh, the Hebrew Israelite uh, movement as I am aware of, have not become violent yet. It wouldn't surprise me to see them become violent. Oh, I... But, um, you know, they haven't become violent yet. Um, however, this, you know, what this, what this Muslim scholar was talking about in terms of this interpretive uh, tradition, tradition and, you know, and scholarship in general, even within Islam. Uh, Here, these things were true. Grammar... Morphology, you know what words mean, the language. That's all true before us. So that was that was true with the Tanakh. That's true with the apostolic writings, right? Wait before you know Muhammad was ever even on the scene. You know, so the, these principles of needing to just language, you know, and that there's grammar, right? That there's history. You know, all these things are are principles that this Islamic scholar pulls from the earlier. Sure, uh, Jewish Christian. So, so listen to this gentleman. Uh, now, there. Now, obviously, the Hebrew Israelites they reject things such as uh, Christmas. They reject things such as Sunday worship. Uh, they accept the the weekly Sabbath. They uh, do away with uh, pagan holidays. And uh, but one of the other things they do is they deny the deity of the Messiah. Now, in this clip, so I don't have to stop it and explain. Dr. White doesn't understand what this gentleman is trying to say in terms of this person is saying we're not allowed to worship Jesus as a deity. That's important to this gentleman. Now, we, in his mind, we can worship him just not as a deity. Where he, where he would be able to get that is beyond me. Listen to this clip. Okay, so when you say that it's evil to worship Jesus, then in I Revelation... It's evil to worship Jesus. You said that. I'm, okay, then you. I thought you just said a moment ago that it's an evil thing to worship Jesus as a deity. Did I misunderstand you? That's what I said. That is what you said. Okay. If yes. that's the case, then when uh, Jesus is worshipped by every created thing in the book of Revelation, chapter 5, verses 13 and 14, was that evil taking place in heaven? Well, that's not evil, okay? But now you're going into something else. You're going into something entirely different. The worship that, that's in the scriptures and what the Christian churches are doing is two separate things. Okay, so when we do what every created thing, Revelation chapter 5, and every created thing which is in heaven on earth and under the earth and on the sea and all things in them I heard saying, to him who sits on the throne and to the Lamb... Be blessing and honor and glory and dominion forever and ever. And the four living creatures kept saying, Amen. And the elders fell down and worshipped. That's proskuneo. And the object is he who sits upon the throne and the Lamb. So uh, when when uh, even the highest created beings are worshipping the Lamb, we're not to worship the Lamb the way they do? Okay. See, now you're conflicting. I'm trying to help you here. You're conflicting again. <laughs> Again, Christ is not worshipped as a deity. Okay, I'm not going to break up that word deity and worship and play your game. Okay? They're not worshipping Christ as a deity. Okay? When you look up that word worship, okay, and I'm going to get it right here. That means to reverence or adore in the Greek. 
They're reverencing him. They're respecting him. We respect him. But Christ did not come down to do his own will, but the will of him that sent him. He paved the way so that we could worship and honor the Father. You understand? So all in all, again, the worship you're bringing in is not the worshiping of deities we see in the earth today. Okay. So I, I, I think you can understand perfectly uh, Dr. White's, what I would consider frustration here. Uh, what is so sad to me, this is what's so sad to me, is that you have, <clears throat> you have this uh, gentleman, totally uneducated, obviously, doesn't know his biblical languages at all, uh, doesn't even know who James White is. In fact, when he first got on the program, uh, he thought his name was Gary or something like that. And, uh, and so he has no clue who he's even go, uh, talking to. Uh, and then you have... So the- what's, the ga- what's the game that he thinks... Dr. White is playing. Uh, He says, I'm not going to play your game. Yeah, okay. So so what what Hebrew Israelism basically says is that the church has fallen into the the Catholic trap and game, if you will, of, of Baal worship. So that the church, basically the church is just an instrument of this false god Baal. And what they've put forward, the Christian church, even the evangelical church, has now grabbed onto, and even though the evangelical church might not know it, they're actually worshiping Baal. Now, they take this, uh, one of the big books that uh, they, they rest on is, uh, is Two Babylons, which has been uh, proven time and time and time and time and time again by scholars to be total trash. Uh, you know, I've I've called uh, one other book on this show, Total Trash. Uh, well, let's add two more to the list: uh, uh, two ba- the two Babylons, and then also fossilized customs. These books are totally false. Everything, I mean, it's just so bad. Um, and so they rest on this, and of course, Doctor White now has to go through and try to educate where possible on how this is is wrong. Uh, now there is a clip going around the internet. And it was actually made into a clip on uh, Reform Thug Life, a a, uh, <laughs> a Facebook uh, group or a Facebook page, which uh, some people think is irreverent. I think it's actually quite funny. That's neither here nor there. Um, and so this is what uh, this gentleman, and this is towards the end of the of the interview. Uh, and uh, you, I think Dr. White's frustration finally gets the better of him. Uh, Righteously so, I believe. Uh, take a listen to this. And, and that's why it tells us in Hosea, the second chapter, in the 16th verse, and it shall be at that day, saith the Most High, that thou shalt call me Ishi, and shall call me no more Bailey. When you look at that word Bailey, that derives, and your strong concordance, you can go, here, go there, from the word Jehovah or the Tetragrammaton. So we began to scribe that name in records back then the Masoretes just continued it bailey wait 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 wait. bailey is from baal sir that's from baal sir you think i don't know baal bailey is from baal you just said it was from the tetragrammaton sir this is what you need to do okay go you have your strong concordance sir sir i don't use strong concordance i teach hebrew Listen, sir, sir, listen. Okay, well, I'm going to read this for those who can hear it. Okay? Bailey. Uh. Hebrew 1180 in the Strongs. Okay? <laughs> Woo. From 1167 with phenomenal suffix, my master Bailey, a symbolical name of Jehovah, Bailey. Symbolical so, uh, name where? See, I'm, I'm sorry. Strong's Exhaustive Concordance is not an inspired source. It's very dated. And I, I'm sorry, but anyone who's dependent upon that is going to stumble many, many times. And cause other people it's just, to stumble. I, I just highly recommend to you Listen. actually learning the language. It would help a lot. Well, you know what, what would it help? Really would. It would help if you give, you, you would yield and actually give the floor back and give the, our scriptures back to to. To, you know, because these. I'm are, sorry, they're these, not your scriptures, they're, they're, sir. They they they're, were they're, given to the these, Christian church yeah, as a yeah. whole. Okay, so obviously this guy showed up to an AK-47 fight with a stick, and uh-huh. uh, and Doctor White uh, just 
absolutely obliterates him. Um, the, the whole so, thing, so the whole thing was totally that, embarrassing. But says- hang on, hang on. But here's here's the problem. Here's the problem. You got a guy like this, totally uneducated. Okay, and what happens? He comes. He makes a total fool of himself. He makes himself out to be a total moron in front of hundreds, uh, thousands of, of Christians in this waiting audience. And at some point, he tries to bring up that uh, the Sabbath is actually on Shabbat and not on Sunday. And of course, he does a horrible job of trying to defend this. What is so sad is that if you would have had someone who's actually got some education and isn't such a ignoramus uh, talking to, to Dr. White, maybe some good points would have been able to be made about the Sabbath and about the festivals. But of course, it's lost now, and everyone thinks that people who believe this, uh, who listen to this show at least, they, they group it all together. Exactly. Oh, my. So he, that, oh, boy. <laughs> I can see why he, he interrupted him. He's like, Bailey? <laughs> Bailey's derived from the Tetragrammaton? Well, the, the, I think the funniest part is that, you know, obviously, and then on, on uh, reform theological, uh, re- reform thug life, you know, like the music goes up until he's like, it, dr- the music drops out right when he says, sir, I teach Hebrew. And then all of a sudden the music comes back in and it's like the bass is bumping and these sunglasses go on to Dr. White and it says thug life. <laughs> uh, anyway. Um, okay, so after after the uh, the doctor has uh, gotten the gentleman off of his show, uh, this is what he has to say. And now let's take that uh, idea of labels back off the shelf for a few seconds. Dr. White's going to talk to labels. Listening to some of the debates that another group has done, and here's the problem. There are similarities between these groups, evidently the acceptance of the Apocrypha and stuff like that, but then there are big differences, and it's... It's, it's as hard for me right now to be able to know what the differences between these different groups are as it is for most Christians to look at the Muslims and understand the difference between the Shiites and the Sunnis and the Druze and the Ahmadi and so on and so forth, or for the Muslims to look at us and figure out the difference between a Lutheran and a Baptist. Uh, it's, it's tough to figure out exactly where those things are. Uh, but one thing I was absolutely convinced of as I listened this morning, as I listened to a section where this, whatever group this was, was saying that salvation is only for Israel, and that's them. It's not for, not for everybody else. And the only thing I can think of, this is the absolute negation of the gospel of Jesus Christ, as fully as you can have it. As fully as you can have it. The whole point of Romans, Jew and Gentile, one body, this is the mystery revealed. I mean, it's just so plain. And yet to hear these people zealously saying, no, 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 no. And what's interesting is that these conversations, these these debates that were going on in the first century, which we have entire books like Galatians and like Romans written about these debates, they're still going on today. <clears throat> they're still being brought up within the whatever realm you want to say, Christian realm, Messianic realm, whatever it may be. Okay, so um, that's basically what I got. Basically, I guess the, that's cool because ju- I, I had not watched any of that uh, interaction, and I, I was happy to see Doctor White bring it back into the issue of of one religion recognizing differences in another religion, and that actually did, that was a nice uh, bookend from our first clips about the uh, you know the Muslim scholar who is attempting you know Western Muslim. Princeton educated scholar. And the reason I preface all that is because that locates him in his, you know, he's not, uh, you know, in Morocco and, you know, he's actually has a Western. So, and that's important. We want to just, it's just like when you read a book, who wrote the book? You know, where are they from? What's their education? What faith commitment do they have? Because that's all important uh, uh, information to have when you read. Or when you listen to the person, because those you have to have the, both those together. We want to do a try to do a good job of appreciating someone's where they're located, kind of you know, uh, when they are going to say what what their opinion is. But yeah, it's a nice tie back to seeing uh, the bigger issue of of religion, definition of terms, and how those terms can get confused: insider against insider, or insider outsider. 
Well, I think the biggest point here is that it doesn't matter what religion you hold to. If you're going to give up on scholarship and the – now, granted, even people who are good scholars. For instance, you got this guy who's a PhD in Muslim studies, right? In Islam studies. Now, is he wrong? Of course he is wrong. He believes in a false god. Okay, so I'm not exactly. saying I'm not. That's why I say this is an in the world problem. This is a problem in in, in just worldly uh, goings on. But what you what I hear him saying, and what I see happening in the messianic realm and in the Christian realm, and all these things is the people who reject scholarship and the way you're supposed to do scholarship inevitably get into huge error and trouble, according to. Whatever book it might be that you're reading. We know from the Bible that part of, part of the ecclesia has teachers in it, right? In other words, Yeshua preserves. We, that's our faith. It's that we, we have scripture and that by the Ruach HaKodesh, there is an ongoing scholarship element to the larger body of Messiah. Sure. And our responsibility is to engage with that history and those that are dedicating their lives to that study. Does that mean we agree with everything they say? No, but we have to engage and hear them out, just like Yeshua when he was 12 in the temple, when his parents left, remember they didn't know where he was, and he was sitting, talking with, with the, the, those who were studying the Torah. And he was asking questions, he was listening to them, and they appreciated his questions. He was engaged with what they were talking about. Okay, that's, we have, all of us have a responsibility to some degree or another to be in touch with that. It doesn't mean we all have to become scholars. We don't all have to learn Bible languages or anything like that, but we do need to grow in biblical wisdom and discernment. We all have an obligation to that. Um, And how that's going to look and be fruitful in our individual lives is going to be different just because because God brings all sorts of uh, diversity in bringing fruit for the kingdom. But we, we can't just go scrap everything and presume to invent a brand new way of reading the Bible based on something that we know is actually, like, I mean, it's looked like the people that are doing the Jewish mysticism thing, right? Like Kabbalah and word, word pictures or gematria, we just know. It's just if for anybody, even outsiders can say, wait a minute, Yeshua didn't teach that way. <laughs> Why are all of you sudden thinking that now uh, that that's just the new and correct way to interpret the Scripture? So, uh, you know, when I've mentioned Dr. Michael Brown on this show before, uh, in, in good favor, uh, I've been told that I uh, put Dr. Brown on a pedestal and uh, that uh, all this kind of stuff. Um, and so not to – I, I want to make sure people think know that I'm not putting uh, Dr. White on any kind of a pedestal. Uh, I, I certainly respect Dr. White and I really, really appreciate and like all the work that he's doing for the kingdom. Uh, there are certain things that I certainly disagree with. Uh, for instance, obviously his, his stance on uh, the Sabbath and the festivals and, and these kind of things. Um, and of course, Dr. White believes that the Sabbath has been changed to the Lord's Day, which would be Sunday. And uh, I think it would be good for him to have a, a debate with somebody who is well-educated and knowledgeable of these kind of things. But um, this uh, is not in your show notes because I just read it uh, about 20 minutes before we came on air. This from polemic, uh, polemicsreport.com. Uh, now, I had not been a, uh, aware of this site. It's called Pulpit and Pin Polemics Report. Um, and uh, they are apparently reform. This is from J.D. Hall. Um, and so he says, this is kind of, this is about two pages maybe, but uh, I'll read it anyway. He says, I've written and spoken, and now I can't take sides on this because Dr. White says that he's going to respond to this, so uh, I would like to hear what he has to say about this. However, this does sound like a scathing uh, correction uh, that Possibly is needed. He says, I've written and spoken much about the difference between being a Calvinist and being reformed. To be a Calvinist in theological parlance means that one affirms the five points of Calvinism soteriologically. So, so now we have a, uh, uh, a definition of Calvinism that I would actually, this is what I would mean if I call myself a Calvinist, this is what I am speaking to. 
Now, obviously, there are people who are going to reject this and say, no, Calvinism would say that you agree with everything that Calvin wrote. Um, And obviously, I would disagree. Anyway, uh, going on, he says, to be reformed implies much more, including covenant theology, confessionalism, the regulative principle of worship, and most importantly, a quest for personal holiness. Apologia Church and its leadership, including Jeff Durbin and Marcus Pittman, are not reformed, and I wish the press would stop calling them that. Like their uh, compatriots at the Reformed Pub, which is the Internet's cesspool of Calvinist-flavored immaturity and ungodliness, these men are hardly men, but rather boys giggling about intestinal gas and body parts who cloak theology with la. Lischievousness. These are children who profess and right, uh, a right dividing of law and gospel who season their, their behavior with latent antinomianism. So he's going to go on now. And uh, actually, I'll keep going because this is there's not much more of this. Uh, ChristianNews.net has posted an article, uh, articulate article on the problems festering in this movement as demonstrated by obnoxiously juvenile attempt to at coolness via Apologia Church. Their church plant fund funding strategy is to sample beer and get tattoos. That's an interesting strategy, in my opinion. In a line that was both revealing and apropos, the article mentioned one man saddled up to a uh, to get tatted. Uh, I'm sorry, saddled up to get tatted up who sported pirate Christian radio ink. And now we know uh, Chris Roseborough well. He's been on this show before. Uh, he's the one who runs Chris, uh, Pirate Christian Radio. I would hardly think that polemicist and pirate Christian founder Chris Roseboro would approve of a church plant strategy founded so firmly on such triteness, although neither alcohol nor tattoos would be forbidden outright in his mind. The issue is not that alcohol and drawing on one's self are sins per se, but that such a strategy be un- undertaken by Christian ministers who should be encouraging young men to gird up their loins for their minds, mind and be mature. The article reads, and this is a quote from that article, quote, this is actually a fundraiser for the Apologia Kauai church plant. So people of the church are donating to have another member of of the church tattoo them so they can go to Kauai and we can plant a church there, Pittman explains. So it's pretty cool. As he reads the comments below the video, Pittman notes that a viewer characterized the activity as the Marilyn Mansonization of the church while another remarked that the fundraiser is, quote, a lot cooler than a bake sale. It's definitely a lot cooler, for sure, Pittman agrees. Another supporter waiting his turn explains that he is going to be tattooed with a dirty Trinity design. Knowing Pittman personally, I'm sure he reveals at the opportunity, or revels at the opportunity, probably not something he enjoys earlier in life to be characterized as Cool. Sadly, one's man cool is another man's lame, desperate, and Im- immature. Reformed or not, this is no different than the church growth strategy of the purpose-driven and seeker-friendly models so despised by the classified Calvinist. Make no mistake about it, this is seeker-friendly. It's just seeker-friendly for bearded hipsters rather than suburban soccer moms. Sadly, the man-children engaged in this uh, uh, gutterizing of Calvinist soteriology have been bolstered by their support and association of renowned apologist James White. The article says that White declined to speak about his appearance at their conference. Simply put, I bet he did. White should be given pause. Calvinists should lead by their example in our in our seriousness, sober-mindedness, and earnestness, not in seeking seeing how close we can get to sin and sens- sensationalism for the sake of coolness. Yeah, end article. I'm interested to see what Dr. White has to say about this. Um, now, actually, on his Facebook, he already begins to defend... James White. Let's go to his Facebook here. He says, Summer and I plan on corresponding to, uh, I'm sorry, responding to this together. Jeff Durbin, that's the gentleman who is doing this church planting. Jeff Durbin is too busy in Hawaii planting a church and doing battle with the Mormons to be worried about hosh pot, 
Mirage, I don't know. Anyway, yeah. Um, so it's it will be interested, interesting to hear what uh, he has to say about this. What do you think, Rob? Obviously, if they think that the law has been done away with, and I, even people who believe that the law is still around might argue that tattooing is well, uh, is allowed as long as it's not for the dead. Well, there is, you know, uh, is, there, is there a Mormon <laughs> temple on Kauai? Oh, yes. That where, yes. Okay, that's the big one? Is that like yeah. the big um yeah, that would be interesting. Like you've got a Mormon guy and then you've got someone drinking beer, getting a tattoo. Um, yeah, that doesn't play well be, with to the Mormons, does it? It would just be fun to watch. I'd like to just be in the spectators <laughs> and watch it go back and forth, you know? Um, wow. You know, I have to admit, though, uh, from this article, in terms of beer drinking, uh, obviously Martin Luther was extremely fond of his, uh, of his alcohol. Uh, he was a avid beer drinker. His Stein. His Stein. His. Uh, I, I haven't seen proof of this, but I've been told that his that his beer Stein had the Ten Commandments on it. He said, "Good theological discussion does not begin until the Fourth Commandment." Um. So uh, obviously, the reformers, and not just Luther, by any stretch of the imagination, other reformers as well were very fond of their uh, of their alcohol. Uh, Spurgeon was not. However, Spurgeon was a avid cigar smoker, um, something that his wife did not enjoy. Uh, so the point is, is that uh, the beer, uh, I, I don't necessarily have a problem with someone sitting down and having a, a cold brew uh, and trying to help evangelize. Um, <laughs> Smith, the book of hipster, first book of hipster four, verse five. You will know them by their tats. Okay, Adam, <laughs> you you need to reveal. Do Do you have the whole book? I've given book I've gi- I've given the book of hipster to someone as a present. Is it okay? I'm pretty sure they're it, like how to be Is a hipster. It? I'm quite confident. Anyway. Um, whether or not that's what uh, Smith is is well, it might be a new referencing or not. Found, it might yes. be an ancient document that's now revealed. Yes, exactly. And it, it needs to be published wide, far okay. and wide. Okay, but so uh, the beer drinking, um, you know, obviously the Baptists are going to many of the uh, my uh, the Baptists of my father's generation would completely and totally reject the idea uh, that we should be drinking any form of alcohol, um, and that uh, even that Jesus drank any form of alcohol. Uh, so we could debate that and whether or not it is appropriate to sit down at a dinner table or at a pub with someone. Uh, and and uh, and have a cold brew over theological discussion. However, uh, what my real question is is more about the tattoos. If if we believe that tattooing is is uh, you know is not wrong, is this a is this a valid way to attempt to raise money to plant a church? I mean, take James White out of it for a second. I'm interested to see what he's going to say about that. But do yeah. you? But I mean, in my opinion, no matter what, culturally, culturally speaking, uh, it is certainly not something that uh, that is seen as. I don't know. I, I, it's very. It seems very trashy to me, and maybe that doesn't matter. Maybe maybe it doesn't matter that it's trashy in my my eyes. Culturally, I think that that uh, completely lacks of taste. Uh, yeah. I, I would think that there are wonderful ways of, of trying to raise money. Getting a tattoo is, is probably not the greatest one. Uh, you know, why not ride a bike 50 miles like Dr. White does and uh, raise money that way? Or, you know, why a tattoo? Do you think the guy in the article has any, has any, uh, any legs to stand on here? Or is he I, just, is he being an old curmudgeon Baptist? Maybe a little of both. Do you think that's really the witness that we should be giving to people, though? Like, oh, check out my, check out my Robin Caleb show tattoo. I don't think so. <laughs> now, wait a minute. Okay, a Robin Caleb show tattoo. <laughs> no, no, please. Uh, no, if don't. you ever, whoever might please. ever listen to this, oh. please never get a Robin Caleb show tattoo. That oh, what a waste of good skin. Um, I. I might have shared this before. My wife and I went. We were where were we? we were coming into a shop, and someone was coming out, and I, they held the door for me. I went, oh, thanks, man. And on their, they were holding it like on their wrist. They had a, a Hebrew tattoo, and I'm like, hey, that's Hebrew. 
He's like, yeah. And I looked at it and I can't remember what it said, but he says, oh, I said, did you, do you know what it means? And he told me what it meant. And I'm like, okay, cool. <laughs> the door closes. The, the guy's on, on his way. And I told Jenny, I'm like, that's not what that means. <laughs> 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 but I, I wasn't going to, I wasn't going to rain on the guy's parade, you know, my brother and so, I, my brother and I went somewhere at one time and there was a guy that we know, Dave and Dave, he says, Hey, check it out, guys. It, we we used to joke that we were the only uh, the only two uh, the only two Jews in town, and then my brother was with me. And Dave unrolls his sleeve, and he's got this brick wall, and in the brick wall, there's like all this Hebrew writing. And my brother was like, "Oh, cool," and he was like, "Yeah, it me it means blah 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 blah." Well, my brother knew that Dave doesn't actually speak Hebrew, and with a straight face, totally straight face, my brother just goes, "That's not what that says." It says, you know, and he rattled off something totally ridiculous. And yeah. you should have seen for a few seconds Dave's face just like, oh, no. Like, <laughs> that's the time you want to get a picture. Of yeah. That. Oh, man, it was perfect. And then my, my yeah, brother was like, no, nah, I'm just playing with you, man. It says what you said. <laughs> anyway, I, you know, maybe, maybe it's my, uh, you know, I was raised in a very uh, conservative uh, I'm not as conservative as, as some, but in a conservative household, um, you know, I was always taught that tattoos were wrong, uh, you know, from as long as I can remember, like you don't get tattoos. Maybe that's the influence. But however, I just don't see why this would be chosen over, you know, why would you, why would you fundraise by doing something that is morally Here's the idea? Maybe what they're thinking is this. There's, Lots of people out there that are unchurched or whatever, unre- unreached, and they, they're part of tattoo hipster culture. And so what you're doing, it's the equivalent of Yeshua eating with, sin, quote, sinners and tax collectors. In other words, Pharisees are over there saying, we're not going to eat with them. They're sinners. Yeshua's like, look, there's not, what, what? I'm going to go and I'm going to reach people because I'm going to eat with them. There's no law against eating with, with people um, and talking about God and repentance. So maybe what the, they're taking that as a, a paradigm to like, oh, okay, the this is, judges this, people with tattoos. Therefore, I'm going to go against that. Let, let me ask you this though. This brings I don't up think a good. This, this this brings up a good question. This is an honest question. This shows my lack of Bible knowledge altogether. Do we see any example of Yeshua actually eating with or congregating with people who have not already been told to repent and accepted repentance? Now, I'm not saying that you wouldn't be able to do that. I'm just saying, in the examples of Yeshua sitting down with the tax collectors and whatnot. You he's know, Nic- on mission. Well, no, no, no. He's already, yep. he's already completed mission. He comes to Nicodemus, or not Nicodemus, I'm sorry. He comes to Zacchaeus, right? He says, come down. I'm going to your house today, right? And there's other, there's other uh, tax collectors, you know, who become his disciples, uh, who he says, he basically says, repent. And what happens? They do. And then we see that we see him eating in their house. It'd be interesting. I, I suppose I should actually do some work and see whether or not. Well, that... the issue there again, we get definition of terms like the the Pharisees saying he eats with tax collectors and sinners. Those are people they've already socially blocked themselves off from. Said those guys are doomed. They're going to hell. Leave them alone. And Yeshua's like, no, they're real people. Yeah, with real stories. You and don't know hurting. who's mine. And they need to hear God's word. They need to hear the good news of God's forgiveness. Sure. And he's out there. He's not – and they're afraid of contracting some sort of impurity or whatever. And he's like, no, that's not – doesn't – if you go out and, and uh, build relationship with those people and talk to them, that doesn't make you impure. That doesn't make you unclean. Anyway. Well, the, the reason I bring it up is because who is the uh, quote-unquote evangelical who um, just endorsed Donald Trump? Now – Politics out of it. I don't really, you know, and then uh-huh. everybody freaked out because there was a uh, there was a uh, framed Playboy uh, next to the evangelicals in the picture. Oh, really? I don't, I don't know what you're talking about, but um, anyway, so I went on dude's uh, on his Twitter feed, and he kept. Are you saying, sure that sounds like someone might have doctored the photo. No, it was not doctored at all. Okay, okay. Um, but he, you know, he basically went on this uh, this tirade about how Jesus uh, hung out with. With uh, tax collectors and sinners, and so basically he's doing the same thing. And the point, and my point was, was okay. I'm sorry, dude. Bad example because have you told you know Donald Trump you're wrong? Repent. 
Yeshua wasn't just going and hanging out, you know, like, oh, hey, let's have a party. That's not what he was doing, right? Right, right. He was going, he was on a mission to tell people to repent. And that you have people come to him who did not, who did not uh, uh, repent, quote unquote repent. For instance, a rich young ruler, right? What does Yeshua say? Go sell all your stuff. Follow me. Follow me. And the guy's like, nah, no, I'm not going to do that. And so Yeshua doesn't like, oh, okay, you're not going to do that. That's fine. Let's go. Let's go down to the pub and get a drink. Let's go get tattooed together. You know what I mean? Like, I'm going to show solidarity with you, brother. Yeah, exactly. No, he's he he totally rejects what what's going on. Um, Caleb, we didn't even get to L. <laughs> or, or are we going to call it particular? I don't know. Is it PR? I think it's L. Yeah, L A. Yeah, limited atonement. Okay, that's okay. That's fine. All right. Well, I yeah, I I suppose we're done then, eh? Because we can't get into the limited atonement now. You know how long that would take? I know. So, so drum roll for next week, I guess, you know. Yeah, the, the second Peter 3.9 passage, I've been looking at that. That's a fun one. Yeah. yeah. Oh, the, yeah. We've got we've got uh, second Peter, is it? First Timothy 4.10, Hebrews 2.9. Yeah. Hebrews 2. Yeah, excellent. A lot of good stuff for next week. Yeah. Um, anyway, I, I hope people know, you know, like I'm not... Obviously, from a Torah perspective, it's hard with the tattoo thing. Even people within the Messianic movement would say that tattoos aren't wrong unless you're doing it to commemorate somebody who's passed. Right. So, you know what I mean? Um, I, yeah. I, I'm interested to see what James White has to say. I, I, I have an idea of what I think he might say. Um, to be honest with you, uh, I think that's... My my biggest quarrel with uh, Dr. White at this point is his rejection of the Sabbath uh, and his idea that it's changed to Sunday, and also his, uh, you know, his idea that uh, you know he was he was fully ready uh, to uphold the idea of of uh, Christmas as a Christian holiday, and at least that's what it seemed like. Um, so obviously, I disagree with him on stuff like that. Okay, well, it's been a fun conversation. Anything else before we go? Nope. All right, man. Uh, let's see here. Next week we'll be in the yeah we'll be in the celebration week for my family. It's my birthday, the fourth of July, and my daughter's birthday, and my wife and my anniversary all within one week. Wow. Yep. So good times. Uh, what, so when is our show? That's July sixth. So uh, if you live in the United States, I know that uh, we have a lot of listeners outside of the United States. But if you live in the United States, have a very safe and wonderful Fourth of July. Uh, celebrate well. And, uh, yeah, go America. Um, <laughs> we hope that this conversation has, I don't know, taught you something maybe or that you've benefited from it in some way, shape, or form. Uh, we certainly had fun and are very humbled that anyone would listen to us anyway. Uh, mm-hmm. So, yeah, until next time, if you want to get a hold of us, give us show topics, tell us what you think, tell us that we're wrong, tell us that we're right. See Hag at TorahResource.com, R. Van Hoff at TorahResource.com. And, yeah, you can always uh, sign up for show notes or join us in the chat room. Go to TRRadio.com, hover hover over broadcast, and go down to the Robin Caleb Show. You can get all the information there. Until next time, we hope that we have done something to uplift and glorify our great God and Savior, Yeshua, the Messiah.